Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for our Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I'm playing the role-playing game Shadow Dark RPG, and we are running a campaign called The Gloaming, which is based on Curse Scroll 1. Shadow Dark RPG and Curse Scroll are both available on the Arcane Library, both made by Kelsey Dion. Fantastic role-playing game. Really, really fun. My players love it a lot. Very hardcore. Lots of character deaths. We've talked about that in many previous episodes really really fun and i'm enjoying it a lot this show is brought to you by the patrons of sly flourish patrons get access to a dedicated discord server a monthly q a the city of arches source book uncovered secrets volume one and two a whole bunch of exclusive adventures a whole bunch of tools to help you run your games lots of great things that you get for being a patron of sly flourish but most of all you help me put on shows like this to the patrons of sly flourish thank you so much for your outstanding support one of the things about shadow dark that Shadow Dark re- does really well is that combat in particular is very quick. It, when you think about, I mean, fourth edition days, we thought combat took a long time. It did take a long time. It was like 60 to 90 minutes for a lot of battles, even at low levels. And then fifth edition, you know, depending on how you play it, depending on how you run it, battles can be pretty long too. Shadow Dark, they're pretty quick because characters generally do one thing. There's no bonus actions. There's not a lot of react. I don't think there's any reactions that I know of. So things move very quickly. However, that is offset by the fact that it'll take you an hour and a half for the characters to cross a bridge. And that's what happened in the last session's game. Now, you can enjoy that hour and a half discussion of various plans for crossing a rickety wooden bridge. It's very much a how do we deal with the situation that's in front of us. It's not a big focus on mechanics and crunchiness. All of the players can be involved. There's lots of things you can do, but it can take a long time for people to cross a bridge. And then when they do, it still goes haywire. And it can be a big problem. So last session, the characters in, in this overall campaign, the characters who are, you know, normal, normal people in the world, for the most part, find themselves at the crux of a battle of multiple gods and elder evils that are all trying to do terrible things to this place, this this section of the world called the gloaming and maybe the world itself. But we don't know anything about the world itself outside of the forest of the gloaming and what happened in this adventure, in this campaign, is that a huge, powerful elder evil called Mugdalblub has entered the world. And Mugdalblub is this like primordial ooze that whose desire is to make everything return back to its original primordial state. This is a corruption that another god called Kytheros believes has corrupted the world so badly that Kytheros wants the world to just end. And Kytheros has done this to other worlds over time. So as worlds have gone bad, Kytheros has destroyed the world. Kytheros uses a, another god that's kind of his son called Almazots to actually go through the act of devouring a world and sending it to a place known as Marrow. Marrow is the place where all of the dead worlds, the components of the dead world are, are sent. Are dis- you know, their destroyed remains are sent. And Almazatz does this. When Almazatz is about to do this to a world, Almazatz sends a herald called Undaluk. Undaluk is like a giant mutated six-eyed wolf creature that goes to the world to prepare it for its destruction and um, its devouring by Almazats. So you have four gods. Then you have Titania. Titania is the queen of the Fae. She in the gloaming recognizes that there are lots of artifacts left in the gloaming that are worth preserving. 
And she has sent many of her fey creatures and also other creatures to go and recover these artifacts. And in return, she will let those creatures return to her to the realm of the fey and avoid the destruction of uh, the gloaming, avoid the destruction of the world by Almazots. Do you also have a sorcerer, a very powerful sorcerer named Haldrin? Haldrin believed when this all was occurring, Haldrin believed that that he could stop this from happening and started to recover artifacts that could do so. Two artifacts in particular, one called the Well of Worlds, a portal that allowed people to enter from one world to another. And another one was a Sphere of Annihilation. And using both the Well of Worlds and the Sphere of Annihilation, these two super powerful artifacts could be enough to somehow stop either either push Mugdalblub out of the world or convince Kytheros, Almazots, and Underlook not to devour the world. Some, there's, some, there's some focal point, some fulcrum there that these two artifacts can uh, sit upon to perhaps save the world. Uh, you also have the Knights of St. Yidrith, who are sort of like anti-paladins that worship a... They're corrupted knights of a being known as St. Yidrith who are scourging the land in an attempt to stop pretty much both. They, they think that they can stop this from happening um, and by ending corruption in the world. Their, their goal is to end corruption in the world. Of course, they themselves are corrupted and they murder a lot of innocent people in their process of trying to end the corrupted world. So they're not, they're not particularly good. So the characters find themselves in the middle of this and uh, many of the characters now have, they've, they, they found towns and villages that were cursed by Mugdalblub with a thing called Mugdalblub's Curse, which essentially takes normal humanoid folks and turns them into oozes. And they found the village of Wardenwood was under this curse. There was another village called Aklakalik, which is a goblin village that was also cursed by this. The characters went and managed to get a, 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 a piece of Mugdalblub, actual Mugdalblub, and went to a witch's hut, a witch that they had, that they had defeated earlier, and created an antidote to Mugdalblub's Curse, which is actually a sentient ooze known as CRISPR. And CRISPR, the sentient ooze, is sort of an anti-Mugdalblub that can end Mugdalblub's Curse. Now, that is another powerful weapon of... of um, another powerful weapon that the characters have access to. So they brought CRISPR to Aklakalik. They cured the goblins of Aklakalik, but the goblins said, yeah, but the world out there is still really corrupted. And we lost our bodyguard, a troll named Barbarog, who went down into the lower depths beneath the village of Aklakalik and saying something about opening the portal or keeping the portal open or something like that. So the characters have now traveled down into these depths below uh, in order to find Barbarog and bring Barbarog back so that Barbarog can continue to guard the front door of Aklaklik and keep uh, and keep the village safe. So, but that still brings up the larger question of where they want to go and what they want to do next, which is what we are going to talk about. So uh, that's where things went. So the character, uh, if we look at our Owlbear Rodeo, we're using Owlbear Rodeo. So I'm using Notion to do all my tracking of notes and campaign notes and stuff. If you want to learn more about using Notion for campaign planning, you can find a link in the show notes. I am also using Owlbear Rodeo as my virtual tabletop of choice. I love Owlbear Rodeo. And we have been using it for many, many games, but we've been using it for Shadow Dark and it works really well for Shadow Dark. Uh, I know that Kelsey herself uses uh, Albert Rodeo to run Shadow Dark games. It just works really, really well. So the characters made their way down into this area called, um, I think it was called like the, the Dread Deep. I had some funny name for it. Uh, the Dread Wastes, but it's actually a forgotten temple of Shun the Vile. But it's actually a forgotten temple of Shun and Kytheros. 
And I think, so Shun the Vile is sort of a witch, a witch god. And I think in my little bit of lore, Shun the Vile was the one that allowed Mugdoblob to come into the world. There's, there's a big connection between Shun the Vile, Mugdoblob, and Kytheros. And I don't, I don't know exactly what those connections are, what the motivations are for them. But I know that essentially Shun the Vile allowed Mugdoblob to come into the world using an artifact given to her as a gift from Kytheros. Kytheros actually created Mugdoblob or found Mugdoblob and thought that having a primordial ooze would be a great way to build new worlds. And then it turned out, no, all it does is corrupt the world. So it's sort of all their faults that all this thing is going on. So the characters made their way, uh, is actually, they didn't, they didn't get particularly far. Uh, they made their way down this path uh, let me my, my laser pointer here. Uh, they made this way down their, their path, walking around. Uh, when they got to the overhang, they found some like Grimlock-like creatures, creatures that have been li- living underground for a long time, speaking their own language and doing their own stuff, who were hunting a giant centipede. And they heard the battle going on between like the Grimlocks and the centipedes. And then the characters sort of got involved. They managed to convince the Grimlocks that they were not enemies and battled the centipede and eventually killed the centipede and send it off into the void. I think they managed to get a couple of like centipede fangs that they're now using as like short, like poison short swords that have like a poison effect on them. So that's pretty cool. Then they made their way to this bridge. One fun bit was that I described that there's like mud and dirt on the bridge. The whole thing is sitting over many hundreds of feet below is a pool of boiling mud, you know, big boiling oily mud. If they fall into that, they're dead. And uh, so there's mud and caked stuff all around. And what they found, they've been chasing Barbarog, right? And what they found was a deep foot imprint of Barbarog that kind of shoved up a whole bunch of dirt. And they were looking at that and they were like, we don't know what that means. And then I had them roll like checks and they rolled low. And I was like, you don't know what it means, but like there's these big deep foot imprints and then big pushed up pieces of mud. And then they said, well, okay, well, we know we went across this bridge. It's aiming that way. They walked... So one of them walked across the bridge. Nothing bad happened. Then a second one walked across the bridge. And sure enough, it started to collapse. Now, they were very careful about uh, tying ropes to one another and uh, starting to... They One person used, I think, a levitate or a small teleport to get to the other side. And they started to figure out like ropes and pitons and stuff. And one of the characters hammered in a piton. And I rolled on their behalf to see how well they did hammering in a piton and I, I i questioned whether or not that is like you know a, the, a, a shadow darky way of doing things if a character says they're going to hammer in a piton shouldn't they just be able to do it is that really a check now in one case it was a very weak character a character with a very weak strength and also that feels like the kind of thing that could be risky that a piton could definitely pull its way out of the rock and not work particularly well so i didn't think it was unreasonable for me to roll on my side to say how well was that piton anchored into the into the ground and sure enough i rolled like a two it was it was really bad so they started to make their way across the bridge starts to collapse and then the per- the, the piton goes popping out and one of the characters is like hanging precariously or like you know and i don't do the like jerky like even you know i rolled one roll and so you fall and you die i'm still gonna let them make checks to try to stop them falling i actually i think it was bob world builder who brought up this house rule i think it was bob who brought up a house rule for 5e that i really liked which was when you're falling you start falling on your turn and you don't actually fully fall or be really 
yeah, you don't fully fall until the end of your next turn, which gives everybody essentially a round to do something about it. They all get a turn to do something about it, including you. And I think that's that's pretty good. It adds a lot of stress onto the game. It means that characters have to change their strategies in order to deal with what's going on. It means you're not going to have like a save or die situation. And it gives everybody sort of an opportunity to do something about it. And I kind of dig that. And I would do that here too, that like, I think making it hard on them by having the piton pull free and then people start to fall is one thing. And then it's like, well, how are you going to handle this is another thing. And I think that that can be really fun. So the bridge started to collapse. They have been balancing light sources. So they threw a torch over on the other side, but I'm almost certain to start dorking with their light spells. I, I really feel like the you know when you have a situation like this as a GM and the characters are hanging precariously from a shattered bridge, the best thing a GM could do is make the lights go out at the same time. That feels like a very shadow dark sort of thing to do. Attack the light, I think, is one of the shadow dark philosophies. And is it mean a little, you know? But it still it adds that like element of tension. And then you might say like, is there something lurking in the dark that's watching you while you're doing this? Who's just waiting for that opportunity for the light to go out in order to strike? Maybe. So I think that that's, I think that's something fun that I want to do. Uh, so today, let's see, we're going to create a new session planning template. Again, I'm using Notion to do my campaign planning. You can learn all about it in the show notes by looking at Notion. 17 December, 2023, characters. I think we've got most of the players today. So we have, these are the current list of characters. We have a lot of dead characters. Uh, Sirwin, who has lasted the longest. Sirwin has now been with the group the longest. Elf priest, seeker, outcast, came to the gloaming looking for a new community. Priest of Getty, the elf god. Looks rough. Morrigan, who was the one who tried to hammer in the piton. Morgan Nightweaver, zealot elf warlock of Shun the Vile, the mother witch who is branded as such. Her mother was burned at the stake. Her mother was actually the one who used the dagger of Shun the Vile to tear open a rift to Mugdalblub's realm and bring Mugdalblub into the world. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing or you kind of want to figure out what the story was behind that Lickmac is a goblin wizard who seeks to cure to Mugdablub's curse for their for his villagers and has done so Yaxpik is a greenish goblin fighter wandering around the yard wants something chewy to eat Dazdur is a human witch shaman carrying the remnants of Memnon uh, and Vom is a halfling in black leather armor who runs up with a heroic spark so those are our current list of characters we tend to go through characters relatively quickly i don't think anybody died in the last session though uh so there is that they're they're now about fourth level they've they've reached fourth level uh one thing is i've definitely been scaling up the amount of experience they get i don't the idea of like making them i don't i don't need it to take months for them to get from fourth to fifth level i don't mind it taking a couple of weeks i think that leveling slowly i i don't know like the characters are already so weak anyway that i don't think leveling them up too quickly matters that much eventually they're going to get access to crazy powerful spells but that could be cool too and that might actually fit the campaign better as they get to sixth seventh eighth level i don't know if they're going to get to six seven i mean I, I don't know where the campaign's even going so and in fact that is kind of something so i talked to one of my players last week about it who felt like I don't know because I one of the things I did is I kind of explained that the the the, the caretaker of the goblin village said, hey, yeah, we definitely want to get Barbarog back. But boy, there's some dark stuff happening out in the world out there. And we really could use heroes that are helping us with that, too. And she took it to mean like, are we not supposed to save Barbarog? Like, what is this a new quest? Like, what is the thing? And they're kind of getting a little lost about what quests are available and, and really what the theme of the adventure is, what the theme of the campaign is. 
And what I tried to explain is that there isn't one central theme to the campaign. There are these factions. There are these things going on. And it's kind of up to the players to decide what they want to do. So if the players decide, you know what? The world is doomed and we're just going to collect a few artifacts, go to, go to, Shun, or go to uh, Titania and leave. That's an option, right? That's a choice. Now, is like that the bad ending? Maybe. It kind of depends. I mean... And then another, they don't really know yet that they can affect when they're like, what, what are we supposed to do? We're like, I'm getting killed by a spider and I'm supposed to somehow stop the Lord of time from having his son devour an entire world because another elder evil has cursed it. Like, how am I supposed to do that when I'm getting killed by, you know, big bugs? And that's a good question. Now, the, 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 there is an answer out there for that, but they don't know that there's an answer out there for it. So I'm kind of, you know, this is that sort of like letting the characters sort of wander. And I think as long as there's interesting places for them to explore and interesting paths for them to follow, I don't mind that there isn't one central overarching arc. Like the arc is not stop Mugdoblub or save, save the gloaming. That's kind of their choice if they want to save the gloaming. Like that they can they can hang on to that or they can just collect their artifacts and leave. And I think that's where the confusing bit was. That there's actually a whole path that they could follow in this. It has nothing to do with saving the gloaming. It has everything to do with just collecting treasure and, and GTFOing. So I think that that's, that's an area where at least I know one player was kind of confused. Other players are probably like, I don't even know what we're doing. So, you know, it's something to kind of reinforce, which I think I'm going to do a little bit more of and probably have like a conversation with the players. Say, hey, by the way, I'd like you guys to know. I don't think I need to do it right now because they know what they're doing right now. But once they like, you know, depending on what happens with Barbarog, then their next steps is probably a good time for me to say, hey, you know, here are the things that are laying in front of you and here are some choices you can make. And I want you to know there isn't a right answer because a lot of times they're like, well, what, an you know, you know what path we should be taking. So why don't you just tell us? And I'm like, I don't know what path you should be taking. And I know that there are multiple paths and you guys can pick which one you want to do. So that can matter. So the strong start is collapsing bridge uh, and attack the light. And maybe something lurks in the dark. So a fun thing we can do, I, I, I think it can be kind of fun. This is one of like, you know, are we better improvising this or are we better planning it out? And I guess like in the stage of like, well, let's focus our planning on the things that we really need to plan. I'll probably put this aside. But an idea is like there could be a creature lurking out in the dark that's watching them. I can, I can roll a random encounter to see how involved those creatures get. And, and then I think like if I don't roll, I think it's like you roll one on a 1d6 is when something happens. Like I could immediately roll and see if I roll a one. If I roll one, they're going to get involved. If I don't roll one, they're still out there. They're just not getting involved. They're just, you can see them out there. And then I can still roll an encounter and kind of decide what is that thing lurking out there in the dark that's watching and that the characters can become aware of even though it's staying out of the way. So it's like they don't hit a random encounter, but you know it's out there. And I think that that can be a fun bit of suspense, a fun bit of suspense to add. So our scenes are collapsing bridge. And then continuing the exploration of the, the, of the, the lost temple of Shun the Vile. Uh, this is where we want some of the story level stuff to come out. I, one thing I thought about is they could, if you look at this big path, and we assume that Barbarog has opened a gateway, or there is a gateway to Marrow open here in this chamber, and... They could just walk along this path, open this door, and get through and have no problem. I'm, I'm not crazy about that idea. And I, I would rather them kind of have fun going through this temple area to the north. So in, this, in the sense of like, you know, you want to give them multiple paths. But one of these paths is pretty boring. 
right? They both go to the same place, but one path is pretty boring. It's just continuing to fall along the lip. So I might either have like a severely trapped door here and that it looks like Barbarog may have gone all the way to the door, been unable to get through it. They came all the way back again. And I think that the, so we could have a door, a door of Shun the Vile. So if we go to our forgotten temple of Shun and we go clockwise. So they went to the ruined pillar. Uh, they saw the ruined pillars. We, they didn't, they didn't, because they didn't go into any of the temple area to the south. That's the, a temple of Kytheros, a, 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 and a lost temple to Kytheros is down in this part. But this is the Shun the Vile temple. There are two temples that are side by side. And I think that um uh, i think that there will be a doorway I, I don't think i even need to write it down um but i'll, I'll put it in here so we have the fetid caves altar shun the vial and kathiros that, that's the other path so past the drop we'll have a door fire trapped door of shun the vial and we'll give it an ac of, like a dc of 18 like it's a really hard powerful door if we go to our shadow dark cheat sheet here 18 is extreme, right? Like this is a super powerful trapped door. Uh, are there traps in here? I'm sure there are traps. Of course there are traps. What am I kidding? Where might I find traps? Traps right there. So we can roll. And I think it's going to, one of my, one of my tricks, I'm actually, this is spoiler, spoiler for the talk show later, uh, is roll twice. That you don't just roll once on a trap table. You can actually make really interesting traps by rolling tri twice. Oh, that's D d12. Wrong die. So we have a barbed net. So this would be pretty cool. I, I, I definitely want to have like a fire trap. So I already know that I want that. Uh, but also you could have a barbed net that causes creatures to fall unconscious and burn. That's a pretty devastating trap. And I think, you know, so we will go. Yeah, well, hang on. I was back in the right place. Barbed net does. And I'm going to lower the damage a little. Does 1d10 slashing, knocks, and then 2d10 fire damage each round. I think that's pretty cool, right? That's sort of like, you know, they look at this door, it's, it's heavily, heavily trapped. So the bar, is the barb net physical or arcane? I think the barb net would be physical. So then how, if you had a mat, if you were a, like a high priest of a temple to shoon the vial and you were creating a super trap door that you didn't want anybody to get through. Uh, and so one of the, one of the things they could find uh, is a troll hand, burned troll hand, severed in many places. So, so um, Barbarog was here and got heavily damaged and burned by this trap and then left and instead went another way. He went through the other path. I think that that, I think that's a cool thing. That would, that means they could go and explore this place, but then realize like, oh, that door is super trapped and even Barbara couldn't get through and he went a different path. I think that that's kind of a fun thing to discover. But how does the net, how does the net happen? Would it pop out of the floor and then pull? I'm trying to think of like, you know, so there's, there's no wall on one side. It could shoot out, grapple and then pull in. That, that would probably work. So there's like a spider... So in the, in, the, in the image of the door is Shun the Vile holding a big spider and a candle. The spider's eyes, uh, when you're looking at them, and the flame is burning. So they can tell it's like an active thing. So that's pretty cool. And so what it does is the spider then shoots a web, grapples you, pulls you in, the flames go roaring around you, and then you're burning and you're dying. I think that's a fun, I think that's a fun trap, 
right? I kind of, I kind of dig that. And it's super projected. Like they're going to see the hand of Barbarog there. They're going to know like, wow, this is really bad. They can decide if they want to go that way or they want to go another way. I think I'm going to project to them that like they can tell the arcane energy coming off of this door, whatever this trap is, is very powerful. And they can decide maybe that's not the right path. They can also try to get through and maybe they do. And if they do, then, then they do, right? That, that's okay. You know, I'm kind of making, I kind of shuffling them through the other path because I just think there's more interesting things going on that way. But they might get through. You know, a DC 18 is possible. It's also possible you get freaking killed. That's up to them. So we have a dangerous trapped door. Uh, then the other door I think has been broken open. And it probably had some traps too. And for funsies, let's roll and see what kind of traps it had. So it had a, it was a cursed statue and slicing blade, right? Uh, that would be pretty cool. Six is, I did sleep already. Let's do a different one. 10 uh, is 3d10 and paralyzed. Oh, that's, that's bad. Damage or effect. So I think Barbarog could have, could have survived this. The door is shattered. Uh, and there's troll blood on the statue. So they probably would have seen the statue. There's a statue of Shun the Vile holding the same knife that Morrigan has. Only it's like a stone version. There's troll blood dripping from the statue's blade. So they can see as they go into that, that, that central chamber there, you know, that there's a statue there. It's this, you know, visage. And it looks, so I think like Shun the Vile looks a lot like morgan's mother i have morgan it's morgan right yeah uh, i think that is a secret clue shun the vile and kytheros uh used to be lovers kytheros gave shun the vile and i, uh, I forget what the dagger is uh, let's go to treasure to remind me what the dagger was treasure tables i think it was a 10 plus because it was sitting right there the obsidian witch knife fearsome obsidian witch knife uh, the obsidian witch knife uh plus two dagger cannot be wielded by lawful beings when you cast a spell holding the dagger you may wound yourself with it add the amount of damage you take to your spell casting check yeah so that was that's pretty cool and i think that that knife is what severed open the boundary between worlds in the hands of shun the vile the obsidian witch knife could open up doors between worlds yeah, your Scipio says your 87,924th anniversary is the Obsidian Ritual Dagger anniversary. I think that's true. I've, I've, I've heard that. It's kind of a hallmark holiday, but it's really like, you know, it was the Obsidian Ritual Dagger industry that made that happen, right? They pushed that. That wasn't really, you know, it wasn't organically made. That was, that's a commercial, big commercial pu push to get the Obsidian Daggers into the whole wedding anniversary industry so not everybody follows it but shooting the vial and ends do what other what other secrets and clues what other secrets and clues do we want to have here so i mean we want them to like so are there, what what big mysteries i still have this question and like when i don't know it's hard to come up with a secret when even i don't know it but like what is it that cause that causes that caused shooting the vial or or, or uh, morgan's mother who looked a lot like Shun the Vile. Are, are Morgan's mother and Shun the Vile the same? I don't know. I don't know about that. What caused Morgan's mother to open up the, the world, to open up the portal between the gloaming and Mugdalblub's world? 
And a, a question could be, why was that a good thing to do? That's the interesting question. And I don't know. I think that like Shun the Vile, Kytheris and Shun the Vile visited many worlds together using the dagger to open up, using the witch knife to open up any portals. Kytheros and Shun the Vile together discovered the world of Mugdalblub. Shun the Vile believed they had gone too far and simply devour every world it could, if not stopped. Kytheros thought Mugdalblub being a primordial being the primordial ooze. Uh oh, what did I just do? There we go. Could be used to create all new fantastic worlds. They were both right. I think, is it possible? I think, so Morgan's mother knew Haldoran, the sorcerer, and believed he had the artifacts required to end artifacts required to end Mugdalblub's curse. Invasion. Perhaps everywhere. Morgan's mother was burned by the Knights of St. Idrith before she could reach Haldoran and recover his artifacts. I mean, that's 10 good secrets. And those are all things that, like, in this Temple of Shun the Vile and Kytheros that they could learn. I mean, that's all That's all pretty good. We We... So if we think about... Yeah, so we've got our scenes. I, eventually, they're going to, you know, explore. Let's see. Explore the temple, the lost temple of Shun the Vile. Uh, so one thing we could have is that another another kind of secret is that Morgan's mother, Morgan's mother was here in this temple before she came here. We need a name for Morgan's mother. I should ask my the player of Morgan. We'll make an NPC card. I already have one. Cool. Okay. I need to find out her name. I probably, I probably, I probably brought that up before, which is probably why I have a card. Oh, I'll put that in my scenes. What is Morgan's mother's name? So I got that. So then if we look at our temple here uh, and we can look at it room by room. So I only have this upper left section of the map to define. I defined it very loosely before, but they didn't even reach it yet. So that's fine. So in that first temple, in that first chamber, what I'm going to do is we're going to, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of write things out here. That's the door. Then we have the shattered door, the shattered door where the statue of Shun the Vile holding a dagger dripping with troll blood. Uh, what's his name? Felt unconscious here, but then woke up and got past Barbarog and continued to head Northwest. That's good. So then there's these caves. Then on the on the left-hand side, we could have a, yeah, uh, I think I had this one, which is an old cut done with Morgan's dagger and some oozes. I think that makes sense. And then the next chamber is through this doorway. We have uh, two altars to Shun and Kytheros. That's good. Then there's this small, we, we could have this, a treasury, right? Protected with another trapped door. Uh, the traps for this could be traps. I'm not going to make this one so hard. There's no good reason why it shouldn't be so hard, except I'd rather them get into this. So that's a little bit bullshittery. Seven, a spiked pit trap triggered by nine. 
Trigger is a spoken word. I don't know what that means. A word is spoken. That's, that's weird. I rolled it again. No, I'm breaking a light beam. Okay. And it causes three. A d6 damage and paralyzation. Uh, I'm going to have it be acid trap to open into an acid pit that inflicts 1d6 acid damage per turn per round and paralyzes those falling inside DC 12. Cool. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. I will be back in just a few minutes and then we will finish up our shatter dark prep. So give me, give me one moment. I am back. Oh, what else do we need? Uh, we got like the temple here. And then we have this, this area, which I think is sort of organic-y. And we figured out here, we call it the walkway between worlds, boundaries between marrow and the gloaming. And then we have the wound, the, the wound in the world. And here is Barbarog and possibly two dire wolves of marrow. I think the dire wolves made two to three dire wolves. And uh, let's take a look at the dire wolves. So we go to our monster, monster, wolf dire. Uh, they are level four. So two of them would be level eight. Three of them would be level 12. They do two bite attacks for a D8 each. They can move double near. That's my favorite distance is double near. So I think the idea that there's a couple of dire wolves here that they have to deal with makes sense. And so then they have to close, they have to close the wound. So how do they do that? Like in, in old, like five, old 5e, in old 5e D&D terms, you like, you roll arcana checks, you do a bunch of skill checks and then you close the wound, which kind of, I don't know. So what is it? So it's this, it's, it's oval shaped. It's got weird white cilia coming out of it through the other side. They can see wrecks of old artifacts and all kinds of stuff sitting on the other side and, and twisted creatures that are wandering around. But how would you close something like that? You could suture it closed. Obsidian sewing needles, right. You know, so so you could also have like the, the obsidian dagger used as a, like for a blood sacrifice. It's possible that anti-Mugdoblub could fix it and kind of hold it back together. If you think about the rift in Stranger Things, what she used just telekinetic energy to kind of do it, right? And what else could do it? They have this idol. I don't know where the hell they left the idol, though. We, we do have trouble keeping track of gear and stuff like that. People aren't keeping their slots, keeping their keeping active on their slots. Do they have, is there any kind of like mending spell? I mean, what else could they do to close it? What's What opened it? So it was torn open because the dagger did it long ago and then it ripped open even further healing energy could do it let's do a little side thing here whoops what can close the wound could barbarog's troll blood do it some sort of mending spell is there something causing or keeping the wound open on the other side that they could deal with you know you could have something like a glyphed skull on a podium that's, you know, who, the, you know, the energy of this glyph skull is keeping the wound open. Who would have put that there? Who would have made that? I'm kind of thinking about my, you know, back when we did the, uh, I had the anchors in, in my Wild Beyond the Witchlight game. When I did the incursions, the dreadful incursions of the Domains of Dread, that there were objects that had crossed between worlds. And the object, having one object 
in one side of the world kept it open. So maybe it would be something from this world that had been thrown through that was keeping the wound open and they have to go, you know, they have to go pick it up. That could be a thing. So we could do that. It could be a piece of treasure, right? We could just make it, you know, why would we make our lives so hard? There could be an object from on the other side, a piece of treasure. We'll go with like, it's pretty powerful. So we'll go with like a level one to 10. We'll roll a, roll some dice here. We get a 75. That's pretty high. 75 would be a fifth tier spell scroll. That's pretty cool. Uh, what does a fifth tier spell look like? So fifth tier spell scroll. And let's look at fifth tier spells. Magic spells, wizard spell list. So tier five is like anti-magic shell, create undead, disintegrate, hold monster, plane shifts, power word kill, prismatic orb, scrying, shape change, summon extra planar, teleport, or wish. How many spells are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Let's roll a d12. Uh, it could be a cleric spell though. So that's that's a wizard spell. Priest spells tier five are one, two, three, four, five, six. So on a one, two, or three, it is a cleric spell. It is a cleric spell. And then what spell is it? It is divine vengeance. Ooh. Duration, 10 rounds. Self, you become the divine avatar of your god's wrath, wreathed in holy flames or in a black aura of smoldering corruption. For the, for the spell's duration, you can fly a near distance. Your weapons are magical and you have a plus four bonus to your weapon attacks and damage. That's pretty cool. Divine Vengeance. The scroll is held in the hacked off hand of uh, Morgan's mother, trapped on the other side. Someone has to go get it. She lost her hand. Why? Uh, uh. I'm not sure how important this is, but she lost her hand reaching through. I think reaching through and surviving and grabbing the skull requires a DC 15, or it should be 18. Is this extreme? It's pretty extreme. Requires a DC 18 dex or con. On a failure, lose 1d4 hit points permanently. That really hurts. Because hit points are so hard to get. It could drop their con instead. Uh, we could lose 1d4 con. That's pretty brutal. Is that too mean? I mean, they're reaching through into a dead world. That doesn't seem... And they get a level, you know, a, a level, a tier 10 magic item out of it. Even though it's a one-use magic item. So, yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll go with that. Can they poke something through? I think like if they poke an object through, whatever it is, rusts and decays or rots and is destroyed. So like, you know, non-org, it's almost like Terminator. A non-organic material can't make the, can't make it pass. You got to reach through and get it. Does that make sense? I mean, does that, you know, I don't know, does that make, because they're going to try like, oh, we'll put a hook on a rope and we'll throw it and fish it like a big fishing thing. And you're like, you know, you throw it through the rope phrase, the top of it, you know, is destroyed. Cause it's like the end of worlds over on the other side. Yeah. What about like mage hand or unseen servant? I think those, you know, are, those are destroyed. Only living, only living material can get through. Uh, now Barbarog might be willing to do it for them though. He'll be permanently hurt and, and then it might make them feel worse. So we'll see. I think, I think that that can work out. So I feel like we've got that. That feels like a good, it uh, feels like a good fun, a good fun bit there. 
Is there any other... So is Barbaraga... I think Barbaraga is just overtaken, you know, as like energy is flowing out of the portal and into his eyes and he's sitting there looking at it. And I think if they wait too long, the wolves will eat Barbarog. But I don't think they're going to have to fight Barbarog. I don't think I'm going to have something where they fight Barbarog. Unless they purposely attack him, I don't think they'll fight him. So that makes sense. So monsters and treasure are all done. Don't really need to worry about any of that. NPCs, don't really have to worry about that. Uh, and then, well, so I think it's always worry, worth having our next steps. So once they complete this, where what are their options? I'm pretty sure I had these options laid out in the previous one. Uh, and I think I'm just going to move them right over because I'm lazy. Face Grease, Rev, Red Thorn, travel to Haldren's Tower, seeking Haldren, uh, or do other factions and quests. And this is where we'll have the adult conversation of like, hey, these are all of the different things that you could possibly do, and there's no right answer. I think that that, uh, I think that, that all works. So I think we are all set. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today while I prepared for my Shattered Art game. I hope you enjoyed this, this conversation. If you did and you want to see more stuff like this, you want, to, you want to see more of the stuff that I do, the best way to do so is to subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get a free adventure generator for signing up. It's absolutely free to sign up. You get a free adventure generator for signing up. You also get a weekly RPG article sent to your inbox. And uh, at the bottom of that article are links to all of the other things I do, other videos I've done, any other stuff that I do, it's all listed in there. A bunch of tips are in there. So you get a whole lot for your, for your, for your newsletter. Uh, you can also support me directly by going to patreon.com slash Flourish and becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to all kinds of good goodies, all kinds of exclusive stuff. I'm always constantly putting new stuff out there for patrons. We have a very active Patreon Discord server uh, that you get to join. It's just a fantastic, a fantastic deal. And you can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, Lazy DM's Companion, Lazy DM's Workbook, Forge of Foes, and all of the fantastic, the various fantastic adventure books are all available in the Sly Flourish bookstore. Please check those out. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG. Bye-bye.